Hello, survivalists. Welcome to the Crux True Survival Stories. This is your host, Casey McIntosh, and I'm joined by my great friend, Julie Henningsen, today. Hope you enjoy the show. Please also share the show with someone that you know and rate and review if you haven't yet. Thanks. Today, we're going to talk about the story of Ken Killip, who got lost in Rocky Mountain National Park in 1998 on a backpacking trip up Mount Ida and the trials and tribulations that Ken ran into along the way. Are you ready for this, Casey? I'm totally ready for this. Okay. We're going back, this, we're going back to the 90s for this one. I love it. We're, it's an old school story here, a real throwback. <clears throat> Before uh, inreaches and GPS and Garmin's, which will become evident as we go through the story. What about Gore-Tex? Was that around in the 90s? Probably. I think it was. I think it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least they had something going for them back then. <clears throat> Thank God for that. So Ken uh, was a firefighter in the Denver area, and he had some experience. He had been on the fire department for like 24 years. He had a military background. He'd done some survival training in the military before that. So he was uh, somewhat experienced, uh, maybe that you wouldn't expect to run into the kind of trouble that he did. Uh, but him and a few of his buddies from the fire department all had planned this trip up to Rocky Mountain National Park and we're going to go on a backpack that some of them had been on before. So he was excited about that. Sounded like a good idea. And over the course of the weeks and days leading up to the departure, uh, people started dropping out of the trip. People couldn't go for whatever reason and were canceling and morning of it was just him and one other guy a buddy of his from the fire department named John York. So what's interesting about this story is that at that moment, Ken had this feeling that maybe he shouldn't go. He had a nagging sense that this wasn't meant to be and that now might be a good time to pull the plug. But, you know, he felt a little obligated to his friend and he was there and at the end of the day, he decided to uh, continue on with the trip, which was his first mistake. <laughs> so Ken and John are off on the trail. John's a little more fit. He's a little more experienced. He's a little faster on the trail. Um, and he'd been on this route before they were going to head up Mount Ida, which is like a 12,800 foot peak in Rocky mountain national park. Um, close to 13,000 feet, and they left an area called Milner Pass. So the plan was to head up this mountain about four miles, not that far, but steep, rugged, not easy going. They had pretty big packs. And then when they got to the top of the mountain, they were going to drop down a drainage to an area called Rock Lake, which was trailless from the peak of the mountain the rock lake which was maybe two two miles was all just uh overland navigation no trails so you're gonna need a map and compass for that <clears throat> so john was raring to go and they got out on the trail well it didn't last long that uh, john's patience ran out and he was 
stopping and going, waiting for his buddy Ken, who just was moving a little bit slower. So I think, you know, they had a mismatched uh, fitness level, which can be problematic in a situation like this. Um, and Ken had the compass, but John had the map, which is also a mismatched uh, distribution of gear because you kind of need one to really be able to rely on the other. So there they go. John gets uh, impatient and just ends up leaving, just ends up plowing ahead. And Ken's kind of on his own now, um, but still feel, feeling okay about it. His, his, uh, he, no, no concerns have been raised for him at this point. He figures he'll just meet up with his buddy when they get to the other side or when they, maybe when they get to the top of the mountain. So at that point, they're just like, hey, we're just going to separate ways and we'll just... That is absolutely crazy to me. I can't imagine doing that. Well, what I think is actually crazier about it is I'm not sure, I could be wrong, but I'm not even sure there was a conversation about it. I think it was just a decision that his hiking buddy made to just stop waiting for him. So uh, they didn't make any kind of plan. That I do know. Because suddenly they just weren't meeting back up on the trail. York wasn't waiting for him and he was plowing ahead at his own pace. So yeah, that part of it doesn't set you up for success when you've never been there before and you only have uh, the, the compass, but not the map. I wonder if he was like just pissed off. Have you ever been in that situation where there, there's just like this negative energy and you don't really know how to communicate with someone and basically he just shut down and decided to give up before I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? I've had a similar kind of instance oh. with someone on a trail. Oh yeah. I've definitely had that feeling in on both sides. I've had it from being the one that's wanting to go at a faster pace. And I've had it being the one that's moving a little bit slower and it's challenging because when you're pushing yourself physically, you don't want to march to the beat of somebody else's drum. So yeah, I can relate. My brother, one summer we went and climbed to the Great Northern, which is not like a day in the park. It's pretty hard. And he'd just been sitting around and he got some tendon injury on the way up there. And he's so funny because at the top, he was like, just leave me up here. Go down to the trailhead. I'll meet you later. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we're just going to leave you up here. That makes a lot of sense. Anyway, we didn't leave him. And thankfully he survived. He didn't fall off a cliff either, which was great. Well, that's great that you uh, waited for him. Ne never leave a man behind. <laughs> <laughs> I may have wanted to, but I'd escort him back to the bottom of the trail. Yeah, I read a story uh, not long ago about a, a family that decided to hike Mount Washington in the, what is that, the White Mountains or the Green Mountains? Like, it's New Hampshire. Super windy, right? That's what I think about yeah, Mount Washington. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's had the highest recorded winds in the lower 48 or something like that. Um, and it's not a super high peak, but I've climbed it. It's, I mean, it's a hike. Uh, scree fields all the way up. The terrain is challenging. So um, despite its low elevation, it's a commitment. And the story was there were maybe grandkids hiking with their grandfather, who was, I can't remember his age, but I want to say in his 70s or even 80s. So good on him for being there in the first place. But he was going too slow for the grandkids, and they plowed ahead. Same type of situation. They uh, just w kept going at their own pace, sort of left him behind. He didn't 
make it to the top. I mean, he survived, but he had to be rescued um, for whatever reason. I don't remember the details, but that was something that made me think about the importance of, A, just talking about what, how you're going to handle a situation like that before it comes up, mm-hmm. and, uh, and B, just uh, planning to, to generally not do that. right and the thing is like sometimes you just have to understand that the person that you're going with is not excelling at hiking and you're not going out for that purpose if you want to really haul because it's really important for you to push yourself physically then don't go with that slow individual like I can already think of one person that I would never choose to go on a steep difficult climb with that person is not you by the way Julie it's someone else just in case you're running (laughs) That was my next question. So thank you for not making me ask it. Uh, yeah, not a problem. Although I do have a feeling if you and I uh, attempted this hike together, you would be the one ahead. But I know you would wait for me. So I would always wait for you, 100%. <laughs> so, anyways, John is moving ahead. Ken is falling behind. The day is get, move, getting away from them a little bit. Um, and. Uh, Ken getting close to kind of a ridge line just before he's going to summit Mount Ida, 13,000 feet. So they're up there. Uh, he's tired. He's hungry. He ran out of water around two o'clock and he's getting near the top of the mountain around five o'clock. So he hasn't had anything to drink in three hours. And sure enough, as it does in the Rocky Mountains, a thunderstorm moved in and he's kind of below this sort of treacherous ridge line where you don't want to be during a thunderstorm. So he makes the wise decision of stopping, hunkering down, taking a break and letting the storm pass before he gets up on the exposed ridge of the mountain. So he's, he's there contemplating his next move, uh, taking him longer than he thought. He's run out of resources. He's cold. He's tired and kind of over it. Uh, but at the same time, he's feeling like, oh, well, I can't go back now because my friend will worry about me. I need to just speed along and I'll catch up with him and all will be fine. And then along comes four hikers, other hikers that kind of sought shelter with him in the same area during this thunderstorm who mentioned to him while they were waiting out the storm that they had seen his friend, John York, and that he was just up ahead, you know, it's not too far. So that put a little wind in Ken's sails and kind of clinched his decision to keep going. I was going to ask you, so that means that they already had summited and they were on their way back down. I'm not sure where, what direction those hikers were going in, but yeah, they were not traveling together. They were just waiting out the storm together. So maybe they were coming down probably at that time of day. Uh, At this point, he could have turned back because he was obviously really familiar with the route in. It would have been very easy for him to just turn around and come back out the way he came, but he made the choice to try and catch up with his friend. So the storm lets up. It doesn't stop raining, but the thunder and lightning lets up, and he moves on, and he's uh, making his way to the top of what he assumes is Mount Ida. And he's thinking, okay, as soon as I get to the top of this peak and my visibility is opened up, I'm going to see this string of lakes down the uh, drainage that I'll be able to just scoot down the hill, 
get some water, meet up with my friend, hunker down, have a nice relaxing um, evening, set up camp. John had the tent. They were going to sleep in a tent together and John had the tent. So Ken didn't have a tent, but he's ready to go catch up with John and set up camp. So he gets to the top of the mountain and he looks down and sure enough, he doesn't see this string of lakes. He doesn't see the river John told him he would see. He doesn't see any of the landmarks that he has this mental picture in his mind are going to kind of guide him where he needs to go from there. And this is all off trail now. So he's not following a predetermined path. He's got to find his way. So now is a point in time where, you know, maybe he should turn back. Um, and in reality, it turns out he was in a drainage about a mile north. And it wasn't Mount Ida that he had summited. And he was about a mile off course, but didn't realize it. And so instead of kind of realizing that what he was seeing did not match sort of his mental map of what he should be seeing, uh, he decided, okay, well, let's just give this another chance and keep going, which maybe was wishful thinking. He kept going. He did not encounter this chain of lakes. He did not meet back up with John, and he decided, okay, I can't go any further. It's dark now. It's still raining. I'm soaked to the core. I'm going to stop for the evening. And now he's starting to panic a little bit. He's worried. Um, he hasn't accepted that he's lost, but he's uh, concerned. Did Ken have the map or did he have the compass? I can't remember which one had which. Yeah, Ken had the compass and John had the map. What would you rather have, Casey, the map or the compass in a situation like this? I don't know. Like, I kind of think that I would be better suited with the compass, but if it was Toby, he would want the map because he would be able to figure out where he was. That's the thing is if you can't put yourself on the map, it really is useless. So a compass, at least you can figure out, okay, I came from the South. I got to turn, or, you know what I mean? Like if you generally know what direction you came from, you could maybe figure it out that way. What about you? Well, it's a good question. I feel like if I was a little lost, I'd want the map. If I was a lot lost, I'd want the <laughs> compass. <laughs> I like it. Uh, that's funny. The, but that's for the same reason you just mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So he set up camp. Now here's where it gets interesting. He didn't have a tent, but he also didn't really take any steps to build any kind of shelter. He became kind of apathetic or maybe just panicked. It's hard to say, but there's a few things he could have done here to help himself out that he just didn't do. He didn't create any kind of shelter, so he remained pretty cold and wet all night long, uh, which kind of introduced the possibility of hypothermia, and he didn't start a fire. And he knew that fires were not allowed in that part of Rocky Mountain National Park. They weren't permitted. And he's a firefighter, so he didn't want to break that rule. And so he kind of had this long, cold night, uh, cold, wet night, uh, despite you know some little things he could have done to try and warm up. Now, that being said, he did have a pretty big pack. He had a lot of stuff in there. He had food. He had you know dry clothing. And resources, just not the ones he needed at that moment. Map and uh, tent. Yeah. 
so the next morning he gets up, he starts back up on his, his quest to find John. Uh, and he's hiking again, still hasn't fully accepted that he's not where he thinks he should be. So he's going to keep pressing forward with the expectation that suddenly this lake's going to appear and, uh, all will be well. Um, but the day goes on, he is, uh, not seeing what he wants to be seeing. So he decides to go ahead and gain altitude. He wants to go up this steep slope. He finds himself near the bottom of purely to just get a more bird's eye view of where he is. So he scrambles up this steep scree slope and about halfway up the slope, he lost his footing and tumbled. He fell a pretty good distance. He couldn't self-arrest as he's tumbling down this rock scree slope. And throughout the course of that tumble, he uh, sprained both of his ankles. He severely pulled muscles in his one of his shoulders, and he had some ligament damage in his knee. Really ligament damage that required two surgeries to repair after the fact. So significant. Was his backpack on the whole time he was going up this free field? Yeah. He yeah. He was keeping that with him, which was good. He could have, you know, a lot of times lost people will ditch their stuff so they can go faster and lighter, but he didn't do that. So now he's injured, hungry. Well, I don't know how hungry he was because I think he did have food, but he's cold. He's wet. He's injured. He's frustrated. He's scared. He's panicked. He's angry at John York. And he dragged himself to a pond where he could get water. He doesn't have water. So he dragged himself to a pond where he could drink. And that's, and he's out a second night now. And that second night, he still didn't make a fire. He's still following the rules. He's a real rule follower. Oh, please come on. <laughs> I'd rather die than set this thing ablaze. <laughs> He did not want to be the person to start Rocky Mountain <gasps> National Park on fire. Thank God. <laughs> okay. So, uh, oh, and interestingly, I thought you might find this interesting. I said he tried to get up to a high place to get a visual. So he had climbed in, in that process. He had climbed a mountain called Teratoma Mountain, which was 12,700 feet. But do you know what a Teratoma is? Yes. It's a disgusting <laughs> weird thing that seems like a baby, but isn't. Didn't your friend have a teratoma? <laughs> totally on an no, offshoot. <laughs> I've known more than one person that has a teratoma. Yeah. Do you want to give us the medical uh, definition? Cause like, I just, it's like a bunch of hair and tissue and yeah, it's a benign tumor, totally benign that usually develops in the abdomen or maybe in the uterus. I'm not sure. Uh, the tumor is characterized by having human structures in it, like, like teeth, teeth and hair and yeah, it's, like it's that. benign except for your, to your psyche, because if you had something like that in your body, you would be like messed up forever. I'm pretty sure about that. It's psychically malignant. <laughs> As was this mountain that yeah. Ken found himself on. So Ken tumbled <laughs> off Teratoma Mountain and hurt himself. Okay, so now he's starting to lose his energy. He is starting to get dehydrated and hypothermic. Those are his primary problems here. He's feeling woozy. He's And meanwhile, bear in mind, he is like trying to ramble crawl through dense forests. This is not hospitable terrain. So he's exerting, not drinking, and cold. 
So he gets this feeling, I'm going to pass out. I'm about to lose consciousness. He wraps his arm around a tree to prevent him from tumbling down a, another steep slope. Um, and he did. He passed out and basically was unconscious for a period of time. He woke up past midnight. This is now night three. Kind of woke up, came to, looked around, and there were hailstones to a depth of about 12 inches around What? Him. Yeah. That is crazy hailstorm that he had slept through and he was kind of laying there in this hail. So things went from bad to worse at that moment. I wonder if he hit his head when he t had that first tumble, like if he had a concussion or something. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe that's why he was unconscious for through such a weather event. It'd be hard to imagine sleeping through that. So now he kind of gets a little, uh, you know, evil motivation. Now he's officially accepted he's lost and he's get, he's kind of giving up on the hope, you know, ill-conceived thought that everything's going to be all right. I just need to get my bearings and find my buddy. And so he goes into kind of survival mode, lost person survival mode and accepts his reality, which I think ends up sort of being the key to his success. He's not going to give up. He put on his fishing waders and walked around to get warm he built a fire finally. Thank he God. Built, thank God. He built himself a shelter and he just stayed put. He just decided I'm going to wait here till, you know, something happens, uh, which was about two days, uh, reoriented his plan. And, uh, two days later, uh, he sees a helicopter fly overhead. And at this point, he had really kind of given up hope of rescue. Um, and it, the, again, the forest is dense. So he doesn't have an illusion that the helicopter is going to see him. So he, he later commented that he threw a rock at the helicopter. That was all he really did. I'm sure that's really effective. I've heard of other people doing that. It's like, what in the world? That you're just wasted some calories that you didn't need to waste. Maybe, maybe generate a little heat. However, he did have some really pulled <laughs> muscles in his shoulder. So yeah, hopefully he was uh, throwing it with his good arm. <clears throat> yeah, let's hope so. Okay, so the pilot of the helicopter saw his blue parka hanging from a branch in the tree. They were looking for him. And although Ken didn't know it, the because what Ken saw was the helicopter flew over, turned, and just flew away and was like gone for good. But the pilot saw the blue parka hanging on a tree and he directed search and rescue to Ken's location. And they found him because he was just stayed there and they rescued him. And he came out, he had lost 30 pounds in five days. He was in there for five days. That's crazy. Yeah. So back up. He must not have had the food that I indicated he had because, yeah, he lost 30 pounds. Uh, he got some surgeries on his knee. And yeah, I don't know if him and John are still friends, though. Did John notify the search and rescue about Ken's? John notified search and rescue. And so there was an active uh, SAR operation trying to find Ken, fortunately. And so, yeah, he lived to tell. He lived to survive. He still goes into the wilderness. He uh, listens to his gut more, he said, after the incident. If something doesn't feel right, he pays more attention to that, which I think is generally good advice for everybody. Uh, and he never 
travels in remote places without carrying a map and compass, a survival kit with a few necessary supplies. Uh, experience didn't seem to slow him down too much. That's good. I hear these stories. I'm always thinking about what would I have wanted in these instances and definitely, you know, some type of calories. I always think about things like fitness gels or whatever, high calorie, like easy to digest calories that you can always throw into a backpack, but also a flare. Like I can't tell you how many stories I've heard where the helicopter is just flying around and you're so close to rescue, but the helicopter could just not see you. And that could, you know, you could be at the very end of your rope at that point and not have any more time left. So that's what I would pick in this instance is definitely, well, a sleeping bag too, obviously, if you could have it all and definitely a flare. Yeah. If it were the late nineties, I'd pick a flare too. But in 2023, I just, I just pick a locator beacon or GPS tool with a little button I can push, (laughs) push this button here. The thing, the other thing I was thinking about as you were talking to me about this is this guy, David Cronin wet that I interviewed, who's a wilderness survival expert. He was saying that a lot of people climb mountainsides to try to get better visualization. And he said, never, never, never do that because of what you're saying. You know, he's, can slid down that whole mountainside and got all these injuries you didn't have beforehand. You exhaust yourself. You might not have water. You might not have enough calories to sustain that kind of exertion. So that's a good reminder too. Yeah, that is a good reminder. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, maybe staying put isn't always the right answer or the best choice, but often it is. Another interesting thing I learned in researching this was that lost people who are lost in kind of wilderness settings, three quarters of those that die within the first 48 hours of being lost and hypothermia is the most common cause of death in those people. So make room for your sleeping bag is what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Make room for a sleeping bag, build a shelter, keep moving, little light exercise, plenty of food so you can generate some metabolic heat, but just knowing that, you know, cold can kill quickly. That's, that's definitely a good point. Well, that was a great story, Julie. I really enjoyed that one. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Anything else to add to that one? I don't think so. That's all I got. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. And if you like our show, please give us a nice review and share with a friend. And have a wonderful week. Bye.